Hello, and welcome to Fixing the Broken World of Work podcast with me, Danny Denhard, the founder of Focus.Business. I'm on a mission to fix the broken world of work. We've entered a world where the majority of us have had to work from home, and against decades of management conditioning and expert advice, the majority of us made it work. And in some cases, we actually thrived. And now, many see no reason to go back to the old ways of doing things. We're about to embark on shaping the future of work for decades to come, through designing what hybrid is going to look like, and how we're going to make it happen. The podcast episodes are going to help to equip you to make work better, not just for today, but for the long term, and help to shape the future of work. The guests and I dive into company culture, organisational health, leadership, well-being, and the misunderstood business function that is strategy. Each episode is packed full of actionable advice and tips. So go get your notepad or open up your notes app be inspired to make positive change. Luke, thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate it. We know each other a little bit. We've helped each other out a couple of times, but a lot of the listeners won't know who you are and what you do. So if you'd, I'd love for you to be able to give us an intro and, uh, and an insight into your day. Cool, brilliant. Well, first of all, thank you, Danny, for having me on. It's great to sort of be here and hopefully share some sort of insight into Redico and what we do and um, something a little bit different, I suppose, to the world of work. Um, so my official title is Head of Culture at a company called Redico. We're a sort of SEO company, so a digital agency. And what makes Redico different is we've kind of gone through a real cultural revolution to get to the point where we are today, which is more on the lines of self-management, so a different organizational structure, different way of working that really puts sort of people first, people for profits, I suppose, is the way that we look at things. So it's all very different in the way that we work. And self-management is an amazing analogy and it's an amazing concept do you want to give people uh, a dive into why you got there and the interesting parts of of how it's helped you as a agency grow and become an award-winning in culture yeah so it's, it's i suppose it's quite a long story really that um the, the company itself founded around 2012 um so uh, all great companies as they are founded in the spare bedroom of the, the director's house um, started to, to grow as a, as a business and got to the point where we had sort of 10 to 15 people as part of the team and as a business we'd always focused on creating a, a fun place to work so it was I suppose at the time we, we was we were looking back we got this wrong completely but things like events and nights out and beer fridges and food in the office and table tennis all that type of stuff that you think amounts to creating a, a really fun place to work and it was around sort of the 20, 2017 mark, so five years into the company, and we started running internal kind of sort of team surveys, so using the MPS as part of the team, thinking that as a business we were at a place where we would be getting sort of really high scores, maybe sort of world-class scores in these areas because this fun place to work we've created. But actually, when we started speaking to the team and getting those results through, we found that actually it was the reality was very different to what those expectations were. And we found that the scores were much lower. We had a lot of detractors as part of the team, a lot of people that were saying that there was all of these issues in the business, like all those kind of issues that come as a part of natural growth in a business, all the pain points that start to show, like frustrations, concerns, confusion, micromanagement. Why can some people sort of get to work late and some people can't? Why is there kind of one rule for one, one rule for another? Sort of, I want to work from home, but I can't, yet someone else can. All of those types of stuff, those kind of frustrations that start to appear as, as the company grows. And so the directors of the business at the time sat down and thought, we need to change this. And it's, every business gets to this point, like a make or break point, where they can 
continue how they're going and, and enjoy high growth because we're growing quickly. We we're making a lot of money. We were featuring on sort of white lists of fastest growing companies in Europe and the UK and all that type of stuff. So there was success there for as a business. And you can continue doing that and just create this culture where actually people just get on with it and there are problems. Or you can sit down and work out what are these problems and what are the solutions that we can do to solve this. And so the directors basically sat down and started working out what does a better Redico look like. And that came from research, speaking to the most progressive businesses around the world, speaking to sort of leaders in kind of the cultural world and the cultural space, reading books, and we're just working out like how can a business work in a different way to being really traditional? How can we kind of strip back the framework and the processes and make it more about people and putting people first and essentially changing the way that, changing your belief system to believe the best people, to believe that people will do the right thing. Because ultimately, a lot of the way that businesses run in the day-to-day are based around sort of the, the small percentages of people that would probably take the mick and would kind of abuse the system and the processes and the policies and they, they can't handle that level of responsibility. Whereas we wanted to move to a place where actually we focused on the, the 95% of people who can and will and want to do a really sort of amazing job and want to work hard, want to be productive, want to do their all. And so we started kind of creating this manifesto of change, like what does the future of Redico look like? And then over a period of sort of 12 months or so, we started rolling this out and that led to choosing when and where and how you work, or sort of whatever hours you wanted to choose, you sort of work those hours, there's no core hours or anything like that having things like unlimited holiday, saying that we're going to pay everyone for all of their sickness and not limiting that or, or having a cap to that, even removing managers from the business and saying, look, actually, we want to get to a place where people are able to manage themselves and, and don't need to be kind of told what to do or how to do it and, and kind of creating these self-managing teams that work together as a, as a group of people rather than for a particular boss or, or lead or whoever that might be. So all of the kind of changes that we started to roll out. And so we did that over... a so about a 12 to 18 month period and constantly reviewed it, constantly amended it, constantly rolled out different things as well. And we never really spoke about self-management at the time. It was more a case of, we're just trying to create a better Redico. We just we were trying to create this good company and we, we hadn't really thought about self-management. And it wasn't really until probably two years ago now that actually self-management started to become a word that we used on a regular basis. And so actually, we've got to a point now where we're halfway there and there's just few bits that we need to really formalize and to, and to change to, to get to that point and so now it's just a case where the team have complete responsibility complete accountability over what they do on that day to day they set their own goals they choose how they work when they work they, the team kind of comes together and holds each other to account because of that so rather than having sort of like hierarchy which you would do in a normal company we work in like bubbles or circles and the organizational structure as such is, is laid out very differently it's kind of more like a flat flat structure and we've really seen some amazing sort of success from it since that that, that kind of rollout our our team mps has, has gone through the roof so again i said at the start it was kind of started because of this poor mps that we got but that jumped up from kind of 40 to, to world class of 96 our client mps also went up to world class we've continued to make sort of revenue and, and profits and profits have increased at 40 percent year on year as well as a business and there's all of these kind of really cool correlating statistics that, that go with it even things like the amount of sick leave that people take it's like drops completely to sort of 0.4 days on average per year for each person like the average in the uk is 4.1 which is like a massive difference so actually it's just showing that you start putting people first you start focusing on people and believing that they have the ability to manage themselves 
you can see more profits, more revenue, happier clients, a better sort of health and well-being initiative for, for the team as well. And it's just, it's been a really long journey, uh, but a really fun journey and one that we think is, is the right thing to do. You're obviously prospering from a lot of the hard work that you've, you've undertaken through sort of seven years of doing it. I love MPS as an internal tool. I hate MPS as an external tool. So when you said detractor, it's really important. Some people don't necessarily understand MPS. So MPS zero to seven is, is this a technically a bad score. It's in the red. And then you have eight, which is sort of mid tier. Then they're not unhappy, somewhat happy. And then nine and 10 are, are the outliers, the ones that literally the 5% that you, that everyone sort of aspires to. So 96 is an amazing achievement and something that you've seen in your numbers, which is, which is great. But do you believe that you can be numbers driven when it's a people first org? Um, it's a good question. I think that you can, you can be guided by the numbers and by the feedback, but also just, it's difficult really, because we enter sort of, well, we're in things like the great place to work as well. And there's a lot of anonymous surveys that form that ranking. We've entered over the last three years, we've came ninth in the UK, then fourth in the UK, fifth in the UK. So constantly in kind of that, that higher tier, I suppose. And, and that's all based on sort of team feedback through hundreds of, of questions from different areas of our culture and the way that we work. Obviously, the MPS kind of shapes that and, and this feedback as part of that. And I think ultimately that feedback is, is normally more important than the score itself. I think the scores give you a kind of nice way of looking at something over time and saying, okay, well, we started here and we've got to this point with the score. So actually we've seen real progressive movement where we want it to be. And then actually on average over the last so two years, it's much higher than it was for the average of the two years before that. And you can look at that, that correlated information. Ultimately though, it's the feedback that's going to count the most. But saying that, you also have to be careful not to kind of take one item of feedback as being like the norm for what everyone thinks. And it's really easy to, to, to do that. So we run, um, we say monthly, but sometimes by monthly, we do sort of internal sort of surveys on like nine or 10 different areas of the business um, from like the cultural side. So we'll say, right, give us a score from naught to nine on like the transparency of the business or like your workload or recognition or reward, all of these different things. And so you give a score and then if you want to give feedback, you can as well. You can put your name against it. You don't have to if you don't want to as well. So it gives people that option. And obviously, if someone comes back and says, like, this is a frustration at the moment, or this is a problem, it's easy to look at that and think, oh, this is like a, a bigger thing than it is, um, especially when you've got a team of sort of 30, 40 people now. It's, you start to think, actually, this is a growing issue, a growing problem. And what you've got to do is kind of take it in context that it's, you can't, you can't say that this person isn't feeling that way because they are, um, that you can't tell someone how they're feeling. You've got to listen to the facts and, and just work out what it is that's affecting them because if it's not affecting this group of people here but it's affecting this person maybe how can we help this person and accommodate them and help them to, to work out what it is that would, would get more from the business and more from the way that we do things and so i think yeah the data helps in, in a long-winded way <laughs> the data helps you to see the correlation the feedback helps you to understand where the issues are and what you can improve sort of going forward but don't be sort of too fixated on like one comment and think oh like everything's 
like ruined. <laughs> like we, we've got really, really bad place here because of this one thing. And it's just taking it all in context really and working actually, this is just a small thing in the grand scheme of things. It. Like it's one thing that people maybe would say isn't working. So I think, yeah, taking, taking both parts in equal measure. I think that's something that uh, when things seem to go in well, like an, one piece of constructive or negative feedback seems more pressing, more more challenging, a bigger pain point. I think when people are generally not so happy, you get more open feedback or probably a little bit more anonymous. But you tend to know the you know, the problems that come that arise in, and then it's your job to get to the root cause. I think there's there's often when you have such high scores you can take these pieces of, of feedback probably a little bit more personally than you would if if things weren't going so well. So it's probably a, just a, a great sign of, of you're on the right path and that you actually actively look to, to address some of these issues where and other businesses, you know, it, it takes that almost a whole team to to be unhappy for, for things to be addressed. So it's something you're doing something you're doing really well. Something I was was interesting when you're talking is the scores are really high and it's a great thing and award winning is, is such a powerful um, tool for many agencies. But I'm guessing for you guys, it's probably as much word of mouth referral that you get from your team members and how they interact with the rest of the people in the industry. It's probably, you, you guys probably get a great word of mouth referral as opposed to, have to having to really hunt and search for the right candidates and the right fit. Um, yeah, it's interesting, really. I mean, from from a um, a client side, we're, we're pretty much like we're almost hundred percent word of mouth. Um, so we've our marketing only really started about a year ago. We brought in our first person to, to form a marketing team, and that's eight years into the business. So, which is, is I think there's a nice correlation sometimes in creating these kind of really good cultures in these workplaces, and, and also producing amazing work. So that they go hand in hand anyway. But then I think clients and businesses on, on that side of things are starting to see that more and wanting to 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 work with those types of people um like even if you take into account sort of the brew dog situation recently and, and then all the all the stuff that came out of that and the negativity around sort of the culture and, that, and the politics and what's going on behind the scenes it's kind of how damaging is that going to be on the, on the reputation of Rudolph going forward? And like, even personally, I can say that I walked into the shop the other day and I'd started to actually sort of drink their beers and I got one of the, the packs sent through sort of on a, on a free beer a while ago. They sort of looked at it and well, actually, no, I'm not going to buy it this time. I'm going to get something else. So I think that automatically sort of damages that reputation now in your mind when you start thinking about kind of the culture and, and the way that people are looked after in the business. From a, a recruitment side, Interestingly, it's it was always one of those things we struggled with from from recruitment. So we we've always been like very picky, especially from like the SEO roles. Um, and we've as a business, not so much recently. It's been much better at the moment in terms of like that pipeline. And then again, that could be that correlation that we sort of alluded to the question. But so I'd definitely say sort of pre twenty eighteen, sort of yeah, anything from twenty nineteen and before, I suppose. We've always just struggled to get good SEOs through the door, sort of being really picky. Sort of, I think as an agency, we wanted sort of the best people, and I think the the, the industry in itself um, is it, difficult because you, you get people coming from the sort of brands and stuff coming to want to join you, and actually they're, they're not actually up to to the standards that you'd want from a senior role, for instance, in that area. So we've always struggled to get the right seniors through the door. But since kind of October, we've really focused on this culture. 
we have started to get much better candidates for we've managed to get i suppose over the last year sort of four or five sort of really good people in those kind of high-end sort of senior mid-level roles are coming from sort of bigger agencies and um, these places from especially from outside london especially now with the pandemic has definitely helped um, there's that definitely that good correlation I suppose that actually when you're looking at a company and thinking this, this is one of the best places to work in the uk and, and they're in my field and my my industry and actually there's all these problems that i'm facing in my current role um and, and the frustration i'm getting there in the way that, that things are done and the bureaucracy that, that happens in my day-to-day -day. like i've had enough of that i'd rather just join this company that's going to be a case of like just let me get on with it just 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 give me the work tell me what i need to do uh, and, and i can just get on with it and deliver and produce amazing results and that's what people want at the end of the day they want that freedom they want that responsibility they want that trust to just be able to get on with it and obviously the the team are sort of massive advocates as well of Redico and I would say we probably don't get as much word of mouth just because of the, the industry we're in. Mm. Um, it, it's, it's, um, it's a tough one, really, but I think it's definitely been that correlation, actually. The high-caliber candidates have definitely followed that cultural shift, which is really good to see. It's good to kind of start seeing that side of things as well. It's amazing that culture is a marketing tool, not a PR tool. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and this is having a huge, you know, long marketing background. This is something that I think a lot of people having, you know, Brewdog as an example, use it as a PR opportunity generally and use their brand and the personal brand side to build up the strong brand behind it. They came under fire because it, people decided to challenge it and it goes against the narrative they created. Likewise, you know, Basecamp had a number of issues more recently too. And that's leads into the sort of leadership and motivation and understanding that i wonder what what sort of your motivations were for taking this career path because it's it's you're ahead of your time really versus versus you know hire and fire which is the traditional hr role or or unit of unit of culture as some people are, are referring to it what are your motivations for taking this sort of step it's very interesting actually because i didn't have any background in this at all so when I joined Redico, it was in 2014. So there was only sort of five of us. But I initially joined as a writer. So I went to uni, sort of came out of uni, was in a, another role for a while. Um, studied journalism at university, had all these ambitions, these, these plans of going to London and writing sort of sports journalism and, and things like that. And all that type of stuff. That was a dream, I suppose, when I was 21. Came out of uni, struggled to, to, to find that. I think there was more redundancies and hirings at the time. The papers were obviously in decline and things moving to online so there was fewer jobs around so I fell into more the copywriting side and joined Redico very early on and I think I was in a in the fortunate position at the time where when you join a company early and one that's going through kind of rapid growth and they've got these plans to to scale and to I think at the time it was to get to sort of 50 people and a 5 million turnover but in sort of a five-year period when you're getting sort of your foot in the door early you start to get other opportunities that, that show up and there's you almost start to put on multiple hats in the business and even though i was in the, the content marketing team i was i was the first one in that in that position moved into a more head of content role and started to build out that that content marketing team as well and sort of brought on a few people and was also doing more operational side of stuff within the business too so it's a case of like what the processes we need to nail what are the things that we need to, to do as we grow we haven't got enough people to have a head of operations so i was kind of filling that that camp as well and doing training around that and things like that 
and then moved into a kind of a more operations role, moved away from, from the content side. And when the manifesto that I talked about earlier was first created, the directors sat down and put together this, this plan of what this better Redico looks like. Um, Nick, who's the, the managing director of Redico, just turned to me and said, we want you to roll this out. And I suppose it was one of those things where um, I had a bit of a reputation for just being able to get things done and for being able to do things. And, and one of the things you need to focus on, especially when you want to change a company in such a drastic way, is you need to make sure you do it because you can't tell the team, like, oh, we've got all these exciting plans and get them sort of bubbling about it and talking about it and thinking, oh, this is amazing. This is where Redico is going to go next. And and nothing happens and it sort of goes stale and, and dry over, over the next few months and that causes more frustration. So it's a case of, right, I'm, I'm put in place now to just to, to roll this out and to focus on it. And I'll be honest, when I first saw the manifesto and, and, and the plans behind it, I thought, I don't think this is going to work. Like, because I was still, it's kind of like, you have to like have a change your mindset almost because a lot of the, a lot of the time now I sort of, when I speak to people and talk about sort of Redico story and, and where we are and where we're going and people say, well, they're quite skeptical and like, well, does it really work? Like, is, is there not any problems or, or issues that come about of this? Like, can you really trust people? Do people abuse it? Are they, are they doing that? And so 2017, I, I was kind of in that mindset of, of still thinking, actually, people do need to be handheld and they do need to kind of have more clear direction in what they should be doing and things like that. But so it wasn't until I really got stuck into the manifesto and looking at the detail and thinking, right, well, how are we going to do this? What, what are we going to prioritise? What are we going to plan first? How are we going to kind of roll this out over the next amount of period? And it wasn't until I then got stuck in this kind of cultural world that you realise that there's, it's almost like a, a sub-level world of people that are kind of bubbing away in, in this culture stuff, like this future of work type, reinventing work type movement that's going on. And there's so much that's kind of happening around that you don't really see until you invest yourself into it and get your head stuck into it. And then it, I suppose for me, it was just changing my mindset and changing my way of thinking and believing and starting to think actually, we can believe the best in people. We can put together these policies and these frameworks and this way of working around thinking that people are going to do the right thing and that we can trust them and that they do want responsibility. And, and this is how you can motivate people and empower people and support people. And there's, there's different ways of doing it than the, the way that I've been grown up to, to kind of follow and that we all kind of grow up sort of seeing the way the business is run and don't really think about an alternative way. And until really you get stuck into that, that's when your mindset changes. Um, so for me, it was more more luck of the draw that I ended up going down this path. But I'm I'm super glad I did because I've enjoyed every minute of it, and it's really been a nice, a real good learning curve for me, and adapting my own mentality, my mindset, and my belief system, um, and, and the values now that I hold about people has changed like substantially over sort of four or five years. It's it takes such a long time to break tradition, and conditioning and habit, and I think that's probably the biggest challenge for a lot of people. So when you had the manifesto, I'm not saying it was your aha moment, but it's probably the aha moment or light bulb moment that probably went off within organisation six months afterwards. You know, it, it's probably took a long time for you to embrace it and then be able to reinforce it almost to people around you and, and sell it in. And I think that's something that, a lot of people have learned probably over the pandemic is some people haven't learned that you can work remotely and you can get a lot of work done 
and we're obviously seeing a lot of tech companies being open and saying they're going to force three days a week on people to be back in the office. And you said that you can work from anywhere, whenever. Have you got like a, a strong opinion or opinion on on how that's sort of playing out now, the, the hybrid versus in-office versus flexibility? Yeah, so it's, it's definitely an interesting one. And I think of all the, the bad stuff that's come out of the pandemic, um, obviously the, the travesties, I suppose, around the world that because of it, one of the only shining lights and the only one of the only good things, uh, sort of, as you mentioned, is actually companies starting to see a different way of working. And I know that we started doing this, sort of, I suppose, two years prior to the pandemic. So it wasn't, for us, it was really easy. Sort of last March, when, when sort of the, the UK first went into its lockdown, and a lot of companies were really struggling to understand how they could do this and how they could, could work it out. And like, have they got the right technology in place and the right infrastructure and the right ways to be able to kind of survive with people not being in the office? Is that, is that a thing? For us, it was a case of, this is just normal. Like everyone, everyone can, can do this. We know we can do it as a business and, and survive it. And I think you then started to get a, a wave of companies. I suppose companies went down sort of two two ways. You had the ones that really embraced it um, and said, "Right, this is now a chance here for us to really change our business and to start focusing on people a bit more and listening to people and how they want to work." And then you had like a, another smaller group of people, another group of companies that started to put in place more control, even though people were working from home. It was like, right. Like, when you get in in the morning, you have to message at nine o'clock to say you're working. You've got a message before you finish at 5 p.m. And my wife was working for a company that was like that. Um, and there was uh, the other companies that have got sort of like sort of camera sort of software, whatever it is, on, lap, on, the, on the laptop saying that we can watch you, we can see what you're doing. We might take random screenshots throughout the day, like to see what you're up to. And there's all this like control and, and fear about what people are doing when they're working from home and such a lack of, of trust. and just by having these types of systems and, and policies in place just destroys like the culture and, and the engagement that people have for, for their companies. And I think now you're seeing, I suppose, uh, as you kind of said at the start, like the companies that are gonna continue to embrace it and say, look, over the last year, people have shown that they can work from home and it is possible. And then especially, I mean, not all, every industry can work from home, obviously you've got, if, if you're fortunate to work for, for a job where you're pretty much office-based, um, yeah, office block-based, I suppose, that's the type of roles that are more suitable for five days of work from home. And now getting those companies, which is like, yeah, we can continue doing this and actually we can get rid of the office um, completely. And, and as a business, we can save money from that and, and focus that attention on something else and maybe put that money into other schemes that we do or ways that we can sort of help out our team. You're now getting the ones which, yeah, are saying, we want you back by this amount of day or we want you to be coming in on, on this day or this day or this day and I think that they dress it up a lot of the time with the idea that unless you're with people in the office or around people you're never going to have those kind of innovative moments where people talk in, come up with an idea or can collaborate and can communicate and for me I think it's more about how you manage like not necessarily manage that process but how you create space for people to be able to do it when they're working remotely um, or, or not working in the office rather than saying the only way you can possibly do this ever is if you're sitting in the same room and it's a case of well let's let's just take a step back here and think that we've managed to survive as, as a as old and as an industry or as a company for the last sort of year 15 months or so 
and, and people have been able to work from home, they've been able to get their job done and maybe they've been more productive and more efficient and more effective in how they're doing stuff on that day to day. Like maybe this is the future and this is how we could do things. For me, it's around choice. Uh, like not everyone wants to work from home. Not, I mean, as a, from a, a personal standpoint, I would like to be in the office at least one day a week, maybe two days a week, just as the other people. I'm, I'm sat at home today and it's a case of, well, my wife walks out the door at nine o'clock and, and probably doesn't come back in until sort of five o'clock. And it's kind of just, just by yourself, aren't you? If you don't have any music on or anything like that, it can be quite lonely. It can, um, I, I find it much more kind of invigorating and, and I find it easier to work when there's other people around. So for me personally, that's what I like. It's that choice. It's that, that, that choice of how you do it. And that's how we're doing it sort of going forward. It's a case of like, we're going to keep the office there. If you want to use the office, you can do. If you want to work from home, you can do. We've, we've, we've switched our policies to kind of like remote first, which means we can now hire people from other areas of the UK. So we, uh, someone's joined the team who's in Scotland. People have joined the team from now all over the UK. So obviously we're Kent based, but we've got people in, in Bristol. We've got someone joining in Nottingham. We've got people that are in London. So wouldn't be coming down the office. And I think it's just thinking like how everyone knows themselves best. Like, you know how you work best. I know how I work best. Everyone on our team knows how they work best. And we're all different. So why say to people, look, you're all different and you're all working different ways and find productivity in different ways. Why are we going to say to you, you can work, you have to work nine till five, five days a week. And this is exactly how it's going to happen across the board. When actually you get people that uh, are, bet are good, great in the morning. And they might be like, right, actually, I'm, not, I'm an early bird. I wake up at six. I'd love to start cracking on at seven o'clock, getting stuff done. Maybe have a bit of a break in the afternoon. You get people that are, are night owls and are thinking, right, I work best at, at nine, ten o'clock in the evening. We've got developers in our team, so very stereotypical sort of same developers. Um, but they're, they're, they're some of the people that actually um, will work till sort of midnight, say, and actually that's when they find their productivity is heightened. And all these companies are kind of saying, look, we're just going to take the last year and just pretend it never happened. We're just going to go back to, to how it was. Uh, Obviously, all that flexibility you get for parents as well, and people with families, and like the, all the benefits that they've had over the last years, or being able to pick up their kids from school, but knowing that actually when they get back, they can do a couple of hours at, at seven, eight o'clock, whatever that might look like. Um, for me, it's just it's just putting people first and saying to people that you are responsible to, to work out when you work best. Go ahead and do it. I don't agree with kind of forcing. Again, a long a long winded answer. I don't agree with kind of forcing uh, forcing people to to do what you want them to do as a business because it's too much control. It's kind of saying, this is how you think it should work. Actually, for, for me personally, it doesn't work best like that. And if you want the best out of me, give me the choice. One of the biggest learnings I think people will have is around command and control. It wasn't necessarily working in office and it definitely doesn't work when you're being more flexible, being more remote, being more hybrid. And I think it's led to being win two tech led so we try to force offline online. So all the bad practices we had offline, we forced online. And that's from having back-to-backs, you know, executives were used to it. People mid-level and below, unfortunately, hadn't had that exposure, hadn't had that experience. It was difficult for them. For many people working on Zoom or Teams or any other tech product you can think of, FaceTime coming, that's something that people copied from other people and then there wasn't anyone that was being deliberate and saying this is how you reduce this down it's completely fine to have deep work or focus time where you block out calendar slots and that you do the work and for instance i spoke to my dad who retired a few years ago 
And I said to him before the emails, you know, how did you actually get your work done? And he said, you just had to be good at communicating. So I'm going to be working on this. I'm going to give you updates then. And that's when you did it. And that worked. And we've become, as a business world, we've become so driven by tech and the tech tools that we have, we've forgotten how to be efficient and operationally smart. And it sounds like what you guys are doing is trying to help enable that and, and pull it out. I'd be a little bit remiss to say you've had all these great um, experiences. Was there any, anything along like more of a negative tone that would help people learn from your learned experience or, or a bad experience you've taken on and, and sort of run with and run forward with? Yeah, it's an interesting one. And it's one I get asked a lot, actually, is kind of like what's what's gone wrong, what are the things that have kind of um, not not really worked in, in this way of working. And it, it does sound bizarre, but it's, it's kind of been quite seamless, <laughs> which is a, a weird thing to say. Like when, again, when sort of the person came that manifesto and, and, and sort of the ways of working, especially, and sort of saying, look, we're going to move to a, a point where people can choose where they work, they're going to choose how they work, they're going to choose sort of the hours that they work, like that, that can fluctuate. We're going to say to people that you can now have like as much holiday as you want to, so you can control that. You won't need to get approval for it. You can just book it into the system. Um, like, again, like, make sure you talk to your teams, make sure you're not going to kind of, like that clients aren't going to be serviced, like, all those kind of things that you expect adults to be able to do and kind of handle. Um, and we're going to say to people that actually we trust you. Like if you're sick, you're sick. Like just take time off. Like we'll pay for all of that, etc. And it was one of those things when I, when I was kind of looking at the implementation and the rollout of it at the time, sort of three or four years ago, and I was thinking to myself, like, I'm not really sure how this is going to work because you're going to get, at the moment, say we've got 20, at the time, 20 people, we get 20 people working 20 different work patterns, could be taking holiday, could be working from home, maybe in the office, like some work at nine at night, some nine in the morning. Like surely this is going to be chaos and this isn't, this isn't going to work. And there's going to be some real kind of issues that, that crop up because of this. But it was just one of those things that <clears throat> as we did it, it just it just worked <laughs> and it just it just made more and more sense i think one of the things that we did that helped throughout the whole process is just kept the team involved in the conversations and the process and how things are going to work and that's and that's really important and, and one i suppose the lesson is just knowing that you don't have to have all of the answers i think when you're um, a leader in an organization or you are in charge of rolling something out and implementing something like, like i was then it's very easy to fall into that trap where you think, I need to have all of these answers. I need to be the person that works this out and solves this problem and addresses this headache. Whereas actually, it's the the team are the people that are doing this on a day-to-day basis. They're the ones that are doing the work. They're the ones that are coming to the office. They're the ones that are seeing those frustrations. Almost like the, that front line type of thing. It's like these are the problems that are going on. So by speaking to your team and asking them, questions and saying look i've got this problem that i need to try and solve like how how do you think we could solve it or what what would work here to kind of to get over this and to get to the point where we, we can roll this out and we can get to this like utopian place i suppose that that involvement just just helps you to get those answers and, and anything you're struggling with can come through from that so rather than taking that approach but like, i need to i need to do this myself like no one else can, can give me an answer here it's just knowing you don't have to have those answers um, but outside of that like especially with so the, the, the work in anywhere, like the working policies just just works. Um, there's other bits that we rolled out where there was a few more teaming issues that sort would of move into a place where we didn't have 
or managers and we introduced copies instead and obviously naturally again you, you've got people in, in, in companies who are already kind of leaders i suppose in, in their, their field or they're, they're experts in what they do or they come from other companies as well where they have a managerial position especially at the moment you've got sort of people joining Redico on a regular basis and and some would have been managers of, of departments or managers of or various people in the past and I think one of the not necessarily an issue at the moment but one of the things that we need to be really conscious of as we grow is just how we I'm not sure on the word but like educating people in the way that we work um, and, and knowing that actually people are going to come with their own beliefs and values and, and ways of doing things and actually it's not until they get to Redico that they're going to start seeing things in a different way. Um, and obviously through the recruitment process, we sort of say to people that this is how things work. These are the, the policies we have in place. This is like the advice process, for instance, so anyone can make a decision in the company without needing to get like absolute approval um, or that you can spend kind of however much you want on training. And, and there's no kind of cap to that. There's all these types of things that we do, which are different and we sort of, sort of I suppose plug that and we say that throughout recruitment, but it's not until you actually join and, and see it on a day to day that you really start to indoctrinate yourself in that system and work out that actually this is a very different way of working to I worked previously. And you just have to remember that myself, when I started rolling this out, I was in that place where I didn't think it was going to work. So you're going to get people that join that are very kind of hesitant to, to the way that things are working and, and until they kind of really start going through that process. Uh, are going to kind of have to challenge their own belief system and, and challenge how they how they do things. That's really important. But in terms of just rolling things out, it has been reasonably seamless, I suppose. I mean, we, we, we distributed responsibilities amongst the team to kind of solve the managerial problems and the leadership issues um, and, and things like that. And just, yeah, any problems that have come up, we've just, I suppose, just addressed them at the time and, and constantly had that feedback from the team. One of the most important aspects of that's unspoken around in work in a workplace is when you've got such a good culture if you hire a bad manager as in like you hire someone who's coming in at a senior level they're going to bring in all of their scars or all of the conditioning they've had from a previous organization and I think it takes a long time for you to heal as a manager and often you'll come in and you'll even list out all the bad traits of a bad manager. And unfortunately, you just, you you become conditioned by your previous environment. So I've worked with people from ex-Amazon, ex-Facebook, ex-Google, all had great experiences or loved loved their experience, but they bought the, the worst parts of them as well, as well as the best parts of them. And that's something that we just don't talk around enough as, as you know, leaders and, and business people and especially culture champions is that actually when you're hiring people they need to be a a good fit for the people around them but b if they're in any sort of leadership position that they know this is the the, almost the code of the culture that you have and that's something that i just don't think many businesses are deliberate enough around they might talk around it in interview and and in the process but they don't onboard people as a manager or a manager in this culture and I think Stripe are relatively famous for it, is that they have management onboarding as well as onboarding as an employee. And I think that's something many people need to maybe consider moving forward is how you're probably more deliberate with management hires and onboarding than than necessarily people underneath them. Yeah, absolutely. Managers, I suppose, uh, they have to be advocates of the culture. Um, and 
if, if you work, if you're bringing in managers or people in kind of more senior positions, it's a case of like they need to be leading by example and showing actually that this culture is is the way that we want to do things, and and, and they believe that this is the way of doing things as well. So they're absolutely spot on. It's so important to kind of get that right because otherwise it can cause real disharmony and, and problems within that team. And it was one of the reasons we wanted to shift away from from managing in the first place because. We, we kind of saw this this problem around not just um, at Redico, but kind of across the industry and across the UK as a whole, where managers are often put into managerial positions and hired based on like their skills and their experience and their expertise. But actually, true, well, really good managers, really good leaders have to have a different set of skills, which is those people skills like leadership and empowerment and support and being able to encourage and motivate other people and to coach. and when you get someone that, that's based solely on those skills and expertise, that role B, all those those other skills, those people skills are kind of forgotten. It, it creates real issues in that, in that team and massive problems. And it's one of the reasons we kind of shifted this approach and sort of said that we want to move away from managers because we want people to be able to come in and excel in their job and just to be able to get better at what they do and to, to, to bring more to the company, to upskill, to have that level of experience, to help to be mentors in, in terms of like the actual, the actual skill set and then someone that, that people can lean on for advice for when it comes to work. But ultimately, we don't want people that are, are going to be managed by the wrong people, um, which is why we kind of moved to that, that self-management model. And, and sort of we've introduced like a, a coach instructor to choose our own coaches. Uh, and again, everyone, as I said earlier, everyone's different and everyone knows who the right person is to be able to, to coach or support them. So that's why we kind of have that where you just choose choose your own coach to help with that side of things. Uh, and but, so you're absolutely right that the, the manager that comes in has to has to have that that culture really embedded because it can cause problems. I love the self-management side, having been agency side and and being in some of the best environments and unfortunately a couple of times the worst environments for from an agency side. How do you, promotion, how do people get promoted in at your company? How do you handle that sort of that natural evolution for people within Redico? A very good question and only recently something that we've solved. Um, so it, it's still kind of hot off the, hot off the press, I suppose. Um, but I suppose, what, what, I suppose one of the issues that you have when you move from traditional to that progressive way of working, kind of moving to that self-management model, you get legacy things that you need to try and solve. So you're trying to move away from managers okay so it's not just not just necessarily about like okay this person manages this group of people and, and their workload and process and stuff like that but like if you're moving away from that who's going to start setting their salary who's going to start having one-to-ones with them who's going to promote them as, as you sort of said and you you have to try and start thinking about out of the box ways of, of doing this because it's not it's not a common thing especially like you can go and look at these self-management companies like Burt's Org um, that are uh, Sort of Dutch sort of healthcare provider, and they've got thousands of nurses, and they work in this self-managed way. But we can't copy what they do because it's a different industry and a different way of working, and, and they can do things differently to how we do it. So it's almost like you've got to try and think of these innovative ways to, to really ch- change things up. And promotions is a, is a good one, and we've always had in place uh, career matrices for many departments in the company. So very early on, actually, so sort of 2015, 2016. The main departments in the company, so the SEO team, the dev team, the content team, uh, ones where we were going to sort of grow those departments and have sort of multiple people filling these different roles, we put together these matrices which are like 
if you join the company at an entry level, for instance, entry level SEO, um, these are the skills and experience you will need to get from that so to be an executive to a, a, a consultant level and then to like a senior. So you've got kind of these tiers. Um, we, we put together kind of marketplace research, salary research around the different tiers and the different um, roles that that would be, sort of when it's a consultant to, to a senior. I attribute that to the matrix as well. And so if you joined Redico tomorrow, you would be kind of put onto your matrix and you'd kind of know whereabouts you are in relation to that. And so we've now got to the point where, obviously, so beforehand, which was kind of managed by a manager or, or someone in that department would kind of manage that process and, and tell someone kind of where they were. And so we had to figure out a way of like, how can we sort of self-manage this? So we simply switched it to the case where now someone actually just, just manages their own career matrix. So if you've got someone who's joined it as an executive, which is kind of the lowest tier, I suppose, in the SEO role, they've got all of these, like, I don't know, 20 things that they need to kind of be proficient at to get to the next level. And so they self-manage their own matrix. We use something called the advice process, which we use throughout the company anyway. And the advice process, in summary, is um, everyone kind of has uh, like a core list of their roles and responsibilities and what they're accountable for. Um, and can kind of make changes um, as they want to. They don't need to get approval. However, for like certain things um, where it does impact sort of other people and, and other processes, you have to get advice. Now you don't have to follow that advice. So for instance, as an example, we changed the, the values of the company last year and it was the values fall under my responsibilities and we were at a point where actually we want to sort of change these values. And so that impacts the whole business because everyone's going to have new values ultimately they need to follow as a company. And so I used the advice process and spoke to the team to kind of work out what they kind of felt the value should be. And I don't have to follow that advice. It's just me listening to it and understanding it and then working out my own path for that. And so this works exactly the same way with the, the self-management when it comes to the career matrix. So everyone has their matrix. And if they think they've completed something or they've got all this stuff that they've, they've completed, they would use the advice process in their team and say, look, I think I've done this now. Does anyone think any differently? And other people in the team can kind of come back and, and give advice and say, yeah, absolutely, you absolutely smashed that. Or, yeah, maybe, but maybe like you need to do like a little bit more on this area. And again, like that executive has, has that power to kind of say, like, I think I've done it. Or actually, yeah, no, you're right. Maybe I should do something else. And that's, that responsibility is up to them. And so they get to the point now on that matrix where they're, they're ready to do that, that push from, say, an executive to a consultant level. But at the same time, we also realize that it's not just about as I said earlier, kind of the skills and experience you have, there's a lot of soft skills that come into it as well. And especially like a senior level. So if you've got someone that wants to become a senior in the business going from consultant to that level, there's all of these soft skills they need to show as well, like being able to give sort of effective one-to-one -one feedback, being able to be great at communicating, being able to kind of show um, having like a stand for inclusion, all of these types of things that actually people would want to have in that senior, senior level. And, um, We've, we've, we've learned in the past that it's really important to focus on, on these skills as well when you've got people, especially people in, in those senior roles, because they're the ones that are the role models for other people in the team. They're the ones that people should be looking at and say, I want to be like this person. Like, this is the person in the team that I really want to get to their level from both an experience and also uh, um, sort of the, the other side of things as well, those kind of people skills and, and the way that they sort of show themselves on a daily basis. And so we've also developed this Kind of soft skills matrix as well which kind of goes hand in hand with the career matrix and it's all around self-reflection and understanding your own sort of like uh, your own traits and your own ways of working so we introduce things like the myers-briggs comes into it people complete their own myers-briggs and report 
they get their personality, they get their blind spots, they can start self-correcting on that, their blind spots and thinking actually, how can I work on this? How can I get better at this? Like, what can I do here? And then we have eight different sort of um, soft skills, which we have. We've got explanations of what those soft skills are, what examples of how you might demonstrate those as well. And again, self-reflection in terms of, okay, right, communication, how would I score myself on that sort of one to five um, in different areas, you kind of write your own summary. And then you would pick two people in your team to, to score you as well. And again, that make, that then gives you a chance to kind of get that feedback uh, that we really kind of, we want feedback all the time. We do things like 360s as well. There's always feedback sort of going on throughout the company, but you're getting feedback then on, so not just your, your career and where you're going, but also you're asking people in the team to, to, to score you and to give you feedback on those, those soft skills as well. And you need to get both of those sort of bits hand in hand, and then you can then almost promote yourself um, so once you've got the career matrix, you've got the soft skills matrix, you can then again use the advice processes again to say, look, now I'm at the point where I'm ready to be promoted. And we have to include like the finance team in that advice process because obviously as a business, if everyone's promoting themselves, that's going to be X amount of money that's coming out of the, the, the part. And we have to obviously focus on P&Ls and things like that. So we would include the finance team in that and say, look, I'm, I'm going to promote myself. Like, is there any issues, anything that I need to be aware of financially, uh, whether it's the department or the business as a whole? So there's it's obviously extra mechanisms that come into it as well, but it's just we've just got to that point now where people can own their career, and it's it's a really good thing that we have where it's just you come into the business and you kind of think, well, this is where I could get to, and I can own this path, and I know those skills and and that knowledge that I need to gain to be able to start from here and, and get to here, um, and you can work out and always plan your career based on that. Um, and it, I think it gives you more more of an insight into that potential and that future than you would do if you're waiting on someone else to promote you, because you're almost waiting on someone to kind of see that potential in you or to or to kind of believe you can do that and to push you forward, where we've now got this dynamic where the team are kind of more supportive and more encouraging of each other, but you can own that process yourself. And if you want to progress, if, you, if you're ambitious, you're career-led, you want to keep going, you're the, almost like the master of your own ship and are able to do that rather than waiting on, on, on someone else to do it for you. When you're talking, it's, it's three things that came to my head is that you'll lose stuff uh, only when someone comes in with probably two leaps above where they're at. Uh, and then they're going to want to steal the knowledge off them around what you guys are offering. The second thing was um, personal motivations is going to be so important within Redico and what you do. You know, Personal motivations typically are money, status, influence, title. So I guess they're probably all important areas that, that sort of spring up or, or where you'll maybe some sometimes need to be the leader or, or mediate on that. And the third side of it was what you and the team are doing at Redico is very interesting from a point of you're kind of taking the levels of what tech teams have rolled out, you know, the Googles, the Amazons, et cetera, and you've made it more personally attainable because if you speak to anyone in an Amazon, they won't always know how to get from an L6 to an L7. Um, so they might have to wait 18 months. They might have to do take on big pieces of work, but it's just not open to them. So it's almost impossible to get to that level above. Whereas actually what you're saying to people is, if you're the master of your own destiny, it's as much on your collaboration and influence on others as much as, as the work that you're producing and, and what you're showing people the end product is not just the work's getting done, but you're developing and the team around you are developing, which is very smart. Do you, Absolutely. is there something that you feel that 
there's one really important tip that you could give someone in that process because it sounds like something that other agencies would love to roll out and I know a few startups would, would love this approach is there like a one tip that you'd give someone just to prep them in, in their, their journey? Yes, I mean, to be honest, it would probably just be something around making it your own. Um, and the reason I say that is because whether it's kind of looking at that, like career progression and putting together kind of these foundations for people to be able to, to manage their own career and having these kind of matrices in place and these processes, or, or it's like the work-life balance, or it's the manager situation, or it's recruitment, or whatever the problem is you're trying to solve or trying to address, you can go out and you can speak to people. Like you can speak to me, you can speak to yourself, you can speak to all these other people that have implemented it or, or have knowledge of it, experience in doing it. Um, you can read books, you can sort of find all of these kind of these, these ways and this inspiration of doing things. But I feel like it only works in a unique way for each company. I feel like you can't just lift something from someone else and just implement it straight into, into your business because it doesn't, necessarily work because there's, there's different values that are in place, there's different ways that people are working, there's a different belief system, you've got a different team that you're working with, everything is so, so different, all these kinds of, these other the other things, kind of factors to consider, you can't just kind of lift things and kind of copy and paste it into your own organisation. So I think the, the real, I suppose if it is a tip, it's just to, to gain inspiration from as many sources as you can, work out what the problem is you're trying to solve. And then try and just find your own your own way of, of doing it. And you can emulate things. So you could take what we're doing, for example, and think, actually, that I find that sort of great. This is how I want to do things. This is where I want to go do sort of that route I want to go down. And you can take sort of real key core themes from that, but it's probably not going to work as like a whole copy and paste sort of lifting up and put it into your business. Um, you could it's just taking that inspiration and work out actually how's that going to work in my company most effectively to give the most to, to my people and to be able to open it up so they can control their, their career and their progression and, and we can move away from this rigid framework where it's just not really talked about and it's not really a, a way for people to, to advance their careers and to get what they really want to out, out of their work. Yeah. I completely agree. The The one thing I'd say is from my point of view, just from stealing some of the, the sort of five minutes of knowledge bombs that you gave on your processes, you say around values, I would, I would say that things that have worked for me and clients and in previous roles is shared principles. So make sure that everyone agrees on a set of principles that everyone operates to. And then you can start rolling out bigger changes or radical changes because people are all brought into the same thing. I think one of the, the challenges almost every business has, uh, especially if they're more c- command and control or more atypical, hierarchical, is everyone tends to look at the most senior person and how the information flows and then they have to make a decision whether they follow it or they have to hit their goals that might not be connected. So I'd say my tip would be if if you could have shared principles, then that will really guide so much of your decisions, so many of your change requests, so many many steps along your journey. So that, that would be my bonus for you. (laughs) <laughs> and I think also uh, appreciate that your values may well change over time as well. So when we first started this this kind of journey, um, we put together, well, we had six new values that we introduced in sort of 2018, and like how we wanted this business to look, where it was going to go. And these are the six values we're now going to have as a business. And as I said last year, 
I revisited the values because actually they were the ones that we put in place for kind of where we thought we were going to get to. But as a business, we probably landed in a different position in a different place. So those values were now kind of alt out. They weren't as kind of tied to Redico where we are now. And, and so by revisiting those and speaking to the team and working out, well, what does what does my company stand for now? Like it's changed over time. So the values are going to change too. And so what does that look like now? What's the differences? What, how can we make these more relatable to where we are today? Um, and obviously you don't want to be changing your values every five minutes, but it's good just to kind of review those periodically and think like, are these still valuable? Are these still useful? Are these real actionable values that people can look to and, and their actions can follow these values as well? A lot of values are, are quite kind of bitty or, or, or don't really give people an idea of what their expectations are in their behavior or their way of working and being themselves at work. Just reviewing those on a periodic basis because they will change over time. As your business changes, as you you become more progressive, if you move away from the way that things have been done in the past, those values will change too. I think it's GitLab that have a number of different values and it's open and they have one document that they live from. And if anyone really wants to, to see sort of radical transparency, I believe that they've got they got it. It's on a distributed podcast with the WordPress CEO. And obviously they're, they're fully distributed, but it's really important if you want to see a live example of, of values and, and number of changes that they go through and how deliberate they are. They It rings through their day to day. like, And it, apparently it's an ongoing joke, but people refer to it constantly. So therefore it's obviously working. You've given loads of uh, great insights into into how you guys operate, how you've moved forward, the journey that you've been on. I'd love to jump in and wrap up with the quick fire questions if you're up for it. Yeah, let's go. Uh, is there one book you'd recommend to read and what would it be? <laughs> it depends on what stage you are of the journey. If you're very new to this um, and, and you're kind of getting going, it would be something like The Happy Manifesto by Henry Stewart is a really good place to, to understand it. If you're already part of through that journey, then something like Reinventing Organisations by Frederick Ballou is, a, is a, quite a heavy book, but, but, but um, a good read in understanding how organisations can work differently. And even things like the Netflix No Rules Rules I read recently, it was just a really good insight into a bigger business that has a focus on culture. Because um, again, one of the questions I get a lot is, how would this work in a bigger business? And I think that's a good example of how that culture can be successful. No Rules Rules is a, is a, is a, is a sort of brutal end of of it i loved it i read it in within sort of hours pretty much but yeah if if anyone wants to see the the other end of of you have to be a high performer and you have to have every process ready to go yeah, that's definitely one 100 agree happy manifesto is a is a great book to to kick off is there one podcast that you'd recommend to listen to or a radio show or something that that really resonates with you and that you listen to constantly um, so there's a, there's a good one called Lead and Morphosis by um, an, a self-managing consultant called Lisa Jill. Um, so she kind of focuses on talking to the self-managing companies and companies that are really progressive all around the world, um, not just based in the UK, but she'll speak to those in America. She's looking for companies in Africa um, and Asia and the rest of Europe and places like that, and just understanding how they work and, and different approaches to work and how it can have like, a positive impact on people. It's a good one. Is there a newsletter or a piece of content that, that you recommend subscribing to or that it's a must-read or or must-consume as soon as it comes out? 
Um, I would say Corporate Rebels is, is my go-to. So the Corporate Rebels are um, two, well, it initially started as two uh, blokes that quit their day job. Uh, so they were frustrated with, with work and how it was. And now, or were before the pandemic, just traveled around the world, just speaking to the revolutionary leaders and, and different people. Um, they've got a, a really good website. There's loads of articles on there um, about all different approaches to it and, and may help you solve sort of various issues. They've got a book as well uh, and they've got a newsletter. So plenty of, plenty of content on there. Content kings. Um, <laughs> is there a video or, or a course that you would recommend people to take? Um, so I took the Tough Leadership course last year, which is T-U-F-F. Um, and so that's all around kind of changing not necessarily changing mindsets, but changing the way that you um, deal with people like a one-to-one and changing it away from kind of that, that mindset of telling people how to do things to kind of relate it to people's potential um, and creating kind of really a good, effective one-to-one um, feedback loops. So really kind of effective if you're looking to help managers in your team operate in a different way, um, or if you're looking to create these kind of self-managing teams that can work and function in a different way as well. Some really good, useful sort of takeaways from that especially around sort of conflict resolution as well which should be good that sounds perfect and what's your one piece of advice for anyone that's looking to uh, introduce a, a more efficient or a better culture within their organization don't try and do all at once <laughs> so you can i think put together a plan or an idea how you want to do it and just create a really strong roadmap and a foundation of how you're going to do it um and don't worry if that changes over time. Um, just tr- tr- if, you, if you try and push everything out at once and, and push it all out to the world, it'll probably go bang, it'll probably go wrong, and you'll very quickly revert back to the old way of doing things. I think you need to take your time. You need to communicate to the team like the expectations and be really honest and say this is something we want to do. Um, and just just be, be slow and patient, but, but continually do stuff. And lastly, it's probably not going to be quick fire, but if you were taking over another business who have a cultural issue, what would the three steps be that you take to improve culture? Um, so the first one would be just to talk to the team. I would, I think my, my first thing would be just to sit down and talk to as many people as I could uh, to, to find out what those frustrations are, what those concerns are, what, what are the issues that are impacting their work, what's stopping them from doing their best work. And ultimately, what are those kind of real key issues that are stopping them? Um, then sitting down and I suppose sharing that with, with whoever it is that's in charge, whether that's uh, a directors, whether it's the board, whether it's kind of a, a top leadership team or senior team, whatever that might be, and also kind of talk to them separately as well and, and as a group and work out how they want the business to function, where they want it to go, like what's their, I suppose, idea for this um, like what, what is it they really want to do because you, a lot of the time it's it's those people that are holding the business back and then they don't really want it to, to kind of get to where you went to go to anyway so it's about kind of changing those mindsets is really important um, and then the, it would then be creating that plan and that vision about what that better better future could look like for the company once you've kind of really spoke to as many people as you can to work out what those frustrations are it's starting to put in place the, the future Thank you for uh, for being so honest and open today. If someone wants to try and headhunt you or wants to connect with you, where's the best places that to and how to connect with you? Yeah, so um, available in multiple places on LinkedIn. Um, catch you in there, catch you in there to sort of chat for anything that we've, we've talked to today. I can also share those as well. So we've even got 
I can open a handbook which I can share. Um, I can pass it to you as well, Dan, if you want. Perfect, yeah, I'll share it. Um, gives you more information on Redico and how we work uh, on Twitter and also just email so luke.kai at redico.co.uk. Happy to kind of sort of do email chat too. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Fixing the Broken World of Work podcast today. Make sure you hit follow in Apple Podcasts or Spotify or subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review. Don't forget to click the show notes and to connect to the podcast guests. You can find out more about how we're fixing the broken world of work at Focus at focus.business or just search for me, Danny Denhard.